0: Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Center podcast, a home for positive fan culture, and here to talk about all things nerdy, I'm your co-host Henry. I'm your co-host Matthew. And this week on the show, we'll be discussing J.J. Abrams. Uh, not just him as like a man and his personal life, um, <laughs> his films and his like career. Because um, it's it's an interesting career, and I think for the past week or so, I've just been a bit fascinated by the man and... The way he approaches his films and also the kind of conversation more so around him, I think mm. um it's kind of fascinating.
1: he's a very interesting man in terms of the fact he's just he's been everywhere, and mm. I think you can always tell when something's been made by j j Abrams.
0: yeah it's de- he's definitely a a director that has a style where you see it and you can go ah mm. uh, yes get get ready for a j j Abrams movie <laughs> um yeah definitely. <laughs> Uh, But of course, just to mention again, as always, we do have an Instagram account, at Marvellous the Podcast, where we do posts uh, such as rankings. Well, recently we did a very on, you know, on point for this podcast ranking of uh, the JJ Abrams films. Um, And then going forward, actually, for next, uh, I guess, next week or so, really, uh, we're going to be ranking the films of each Marvel phase, if that makes sense. We're going to be ranking Phase 1 of Marvel, Phase 2 of Marvel, and then Phase 3 of Marvel. We've already done Phase Mm -hmm. 4, but we might do the TV shows. I don't know. We might do that instead of (laughs) Phase 4. So, yeah, just to complete the set, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. before. Well, actually, yeah, good good timing, really, because before um, Phase 5 officially starts, really, with uh, Ant-Man, that was very exciting. Yeah, it's all kicking off, you know new new villains um and all that um mm. yeah so it's all very exciting and yeah getting kind of doing a a lead up to that i guess with these posts so give us a follow mm. over there or get in contact um but as always we have the news to get through first um oh yes oh that's mm, that's the sound I'm, we've
1: got a real mixed bag we're literally everywhere for this week's news
0: <laughs> right okay we
1: are everywhere
0: that is interesting um, um, yeah. Do you want to get started then? We've, I don't know where well, to start then. not? Let's <laughs> get this underway. So, okay.
1: big week. Oscar nominees have been announced.
0: Oh, yeah, of course.
1: Uh, I feel like I've started every single time I've mentioned the awards. Uh, hmm. like an award ceremony I've, I've led with this one. But I'm going to leave with it again. If hmm. you ain't know, broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Angela Bassett is the first actress to receive an Oscar nomination for a role in a Marvel film. Um, Ki Hoi Kwan Michelle Yeoh Anna de Almas, Jamie Lee Cairns Brendan Fraser and Bill Nighy are all amongst actors nominated for the first time mm. uh, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum John Williams has, be- has uh, been nominated for best score for the Fablemans he also mm. recently said he wasn't retiring anymore if I've been news for that oh, really? and in the process of being nominated for this for this score he has broken his own record this is his 53rd Oscar nomination. 53rd? And it compounds his status as the most Oscar-nominated individual in history.
0: Wow, that's incredible. 53?
1: Yep. I know. It's Jeez. like three films a year. <laughs> Jesus.
0: Oh, my God.
1: That's what incredible. That's basically, that's basically one every year since he did Jaws.
0: At least, yeah. yeah that's, that's like, <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Just... That's when you know you're good. Like you just everything you make <laughs> has to get in, appointed for like a an Oscar. <laughs> they can't yeah. not do it. If,
1: if you're talking like C V statements as well, you just need to put that.
0: Yeah, just, just I not anything not like anything it else. It says John Williams from contact details and then there's some big like a hundred <laughs> like writing just saying, you know, I won fifty three <laughs> Oscars every time I make a film score. Um, yeah, it's just one sentence. That's all you need. That's incredible. Wow, yeah,
1: that's a lot of nominations. Yeah,
0: um,
1: across the board, the nominees have been praised, but we are not without controversy. Uh, <laughs> Anna De Armas has been picked for Best Actress, as a nomination for her depiction mm. of Marilyn Monroe in Blonde, mm. which is a bit of a wild card. Yeah, um, especially given the omission of people like Viola Davis or a lot of the other cast members from The Woman King. However, mm. the biggest story comes by the surprise nomination of Andrea Reisberg for her performance in the incredibly low-budget film To Leslie. The film, only earned $30,000 at the box office, was heavily endorsed by various high-profile people like Edward Norton and Kate Winslet, as well as several others, as part of a grassroots campaign that coincides with Academy voting. Hmm. However, following the nomination, the Academy said they're holding a sort of inquiry into the voting and nomination process as they fear that the uh, the grassroots campaign interfered with their selection. Oh, okay. Um, they didn't specifically name two Leslie, but it's heavily suggested that that's the film and the nominations is kind of uh, the fuss is about. Mm. Um, yeah. There is kind of precedent not too long ago. Um, a song was nominated for Best Original Song, and the nomination was rescinded after a similar inquiry. Uh, The meeting to decide what will happen is apparently on Tuesday, Um, with it being quite a high-profile one, and because there is genuinely quite a lot of support for uh, Andrea Ridesma's performance, it might not be rescinded, but it also... It might. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, another year, another scandal.
0: (laughs) As ever. I'm quite uh, excited speaking, for the Oscars just to see if anything will happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, just see what see what the throw. Is yeah. someone going to announce the wrong film? Is somebody yeah. going to hit somebody again?
0: <laughs> what a crazy thing that is.
1: Um. um so, uh, do you watch Rick and Morty? By the way, I,
0: I I started watching it years ago, and I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I'll be honest.
1: <laughs> well, uh, neither do I. Uh, mm. but there's news kind of coming out of that in that the uh, the show's co-creator Justin Royland uh, who also serves as the voice actor for both Rick and Morty has been fired from all roles on the sh- by the show's network Adult Swim it comes after he appeared in court last week on charges from 2020 of domestic battery and false imprisonment the show oh. is currently in its sixth season, but was commissioned until season ten. And Adult Swim intends on honoring this commitment and will recast the lead roles. Fellow wow. co-creator Dan Harmon will assume full EP and showrunner responsibilities, but Royland will retain a created by credit. Hmm. So that's a that's a that's, scandal.
0: That's a scandal. That's not good. And also, isn't that, that guy? Um, isn't he both lead roles? I yeah, he's both. That's that's a conundrum for like going forward with everyone else. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite a big thing. Because that's the one thing I will say about that show is um that I could definitely, you know, if I hear that the voices of the two main leads, I know what it is. Like it's very yeah. you know, you can't really decouple it from the show. Um mm. so yeah that's a uh, very unfortunate yeah for you know yeah, many but, reasons really yeah
1: quite it's quite a big story. Um <clears throat> yes yeah, we'll see how it develops. Uh, we've had a trailer for Shazam Fury of the Gods. Mm. Yeah we did. That was, um, was all right. <laughs> it was interesting. I yeah. mean, people complain quite a lot about it.
0: But... I've heard, yeah, people are very adverse to uh, the trailers for these movies for some reason. Um, but I think often—well, I say often—I mean, it's only one movie. But the the first movie, I I personally thought was a lot better than the trailers kind of led up to. Mm. I think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, ho- I hope that it's kind of the same thing here.
1: Yeah, I think it looks. I don't know. <laughs> I, Ed, it's just really we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast but it's just a strange situation i think it looks all right it looks fine it looks fine
0: yeah i know yeah good. like you saying, with like kind of the dc situation it's kind of like well i feel like we're just getting this out of the way yeah <laughs> sort of thing
1: <laughs> yeah, very strange situation hmm. um slightly happy news well it might not end up being happy but after unprecedented viewing figures, HBO has announced that The Last of Us 2 will be getting a second season. Ooh. Writer Craig Mazin has also suggested that the second game is too large to adapt in a single season. Uh, the premiere episode for the first season has also been made available for free on YouTube, similar to what HBO did for House of the Dragon. The reason why I said this ends in sad news is because this morning I watched episode 3, and it's safe to say that I won't be recovering from that anytime soon.
0: <laughs> I I um, don't
1: know if you've seen it or heard anything about it.
0: Hmm. I haven't. I just because I watched the first episode and then for some reason I keep on forgetting to watch the next two, even though I really really liked it. Um. So yeah, I need to actually get back onto it. Really.
1: Yeah. Episode three is. Um. It's probably the biggest change from the video game so far. All right. But at the same time, a lot of people are calling it one of the best episodes of television really wow it's getting a lot of praise and rightly so it is what's this (laughs) okay i genuinely i genuinely nearly cried
0: nearly wow
1: my eyes watered
0: i'm trying to think of what like could be changed so kind of early on uh i don't yeah Yeah. i don't know (laughs) i'm trying to think but okay
1: (laughs) so yeah um elsewhere season two of the sandman will be reportedly filming this summer and we've also mm. had news that Star Wars' skeleton crew, directed by John Watson, starring Jude Law, has wrapped filming, and a late 2023 release is expected. In terms of shows not coming back, both Doom Patrol and Titans have been cancelled at HBO Max after Aww. their respective fourth seasons. James Gunn has said the decision to do so was made prior to his and Safran's appointments as studio heads. Fuck Batman will finally be laid to rest. <laughs>
0: i yeah on the one hand that i i haven't watched much of um titans i tried to i I have to admit when i watched it i did mostly watch it as with my friends making fun out of it really (laughs) um so i wouldn't really say i had a very i have a very fair judgment on the whole show um but what i will say is i i loved doom patrol i kind of fell fell off the wagon a bit with it i didn't really i haven't really caught with the last season i think but um, I love that show so much. So that's really heartbreaking, and especially because of just Brendan Fraser, I just want him to have more roles. And I believe he was also meant to be in Blue Beetle, or maybe he's in Batwoman. The bat.
1: He's in Batwoman. Yeah, and that also. Firefly.
0: Yeah, that got thrown in the bin. So having be sort of thrown out twice is yeah not ideal. I'd rather he and just generally <laughs> do roles continuing really. Um, but yeah.
1: I guess yeah, DC, DC. Two, two contrasting fortunes with those shows.
0: Mm, yeah, I was surprised uh, that uh, Titans are still going.
1: I know, it's, I, it's just a miracle. It just kind of floated under the surface. I
0: thought it was totally done.
1: Mm, I just kept on seeing everything. Things pop up every now and then, and thinking, "Wow,
0: <laughs> still doing
1: that." Yeah. Um, moving on to casting news. It's been an interesting week. Mm. Uh, this is a bit of a long story, but I'll get to it, Get to the point eventually. Uh, I kind of melded two news stories by putting it in the casting section here. But industry insider Charles Murphy has recently been embroiled in some controversy that's ended up in a potential MCU-related return being hinted at. Murphy took to Twitter to slag off Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., specifically taking aim at star Chloe Bennett, after being asked whether he thought she'd reprised her role as Quake in the main MCU amid speculation she's set for a secret invasion cameo. The show never achieved uh, much with broad audiences, but does have a hardcore cult following. Anyway, regardless of this, Murphy flew in the face of it. He pulled no punches and said that Bennett is far below the quality of many MCU stars like Florence Pugh. And the whole thing culminated in Bennett herself replying to him directly. She tweeted, and I quote, Hey man, you seem like a mean loser. Also, I have a strong feeling your tweets aren't going to age well. Um, so long story short, she could be returning.
0: Yeah, I think she is that, isn't she
1: not <laughs> she? Yeah. Um, that's wow. kind of... Pretty much a confirmation, I think.
0: Very, that's very, uh, why are you being so rude?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, he's, he's, for quite a while, apparently he's had a bit of a vendetta against that show. Don't really know why. It's (laughs) fine.
0: (laughs) It exists. Everyone Um, went, oh, that car flew at the start. And everyone told me about that for some reason. For some reason, when that show came out, even my parents, who never watched the show, were aware that a car, at one point, began to fly and they told me about it and I was like oh okay and that's all I ever heard about the show really
1: <laughs> I think the car was called Lola right <laughs> I can't remember I'm pretty sure it's only here for like one episode but yeah
0: all right that's well that's literally all I know about that show is that a car yeah. flies and I think I think in I think it's
1: one of them cases where like it flies in the pilot hmm. and then, like they spent all the money on it <laughs> yeah the budget was it like never flies again
0: yeah, the pilot was like, we could, we could do this. And then he realized we can't do this, can we?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also MCU-related, Io Adibiri, who featured in the FX Disney Plus series The Bear, has joined the cast of The Thunderbolts, which has also hmm. reportedly cut Ant-Man and the Wasp character Ghost. Toby McGuire... Oh has said that if asked, he would say yes to any p- opportunity to return as Spider-Man or Peter Parker. Ooh. And finally, not MCU, but Lance Reddick and Toby Stevens has joined Disney Plus's Percy Jackson series as Zeus and Poseidon, respectively. Mm,
0: That's casting. Ah,
1: coming to the end, uh, <laughs> Eternals has been revealed as the most streamed MCU movie of 2022. Coming in at thirteenth on Nielsen's recently revealed top fifteen. Encanto is top of what is generally an interesting list to say the least. And finally Read of the Week. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Ryan Gosling is reportedly a front runner for A role in Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> uh other reports have claimed that Galactus will be the main villain of the film and that it will involve time travel using the quantum realm and will spend a good chunk of it in the 1960s. Right.
0: I, I, to be honest, I could totally see the the film being set in the 60s. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how that would work timeline-wise and if it would be like time hijinks or would it actually be in the 60s? That, like it happened and no one talked <laughs> about it for 20 years. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I I could see that because I feel like out of every Marvel hero, there are some that the suit being in the era they were made, um, yeah, and that that group, the four, uh, passing four, just it just makes sense to me um, for some reason more than others. I
1: think yeah, I think there was also something that said that um, the Blade film is going to be set in the nineteen twenties.
0: Oh, that could be interesting. Yeah. Mm. Like an actual like vampire time vampire movie, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not too proper bad. Yeah.
1: Nosferatu <laughs> era, yeah, yeah. Also, did you say that
0: Eternals was the more streamed movie? Yeah, Eternals,
1: <laughs> not not movie, the most streamed MCU movie.
0: Oh, okay, right. Okay. That it makes was
1: thirteenth cool. overall. Encanto is the most streamed.
0: I see. Okay, that makes a bit more sense then. I was because Eternals, you know, this big MCU movie, is probably very popular. But um, I just, <laughs> that's just really surprised me for a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a wildcard one, yeah. Yeah, um, out of nowhere. But yeah, that's the end of the news. Yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> that was a lot, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it was.
1: It was. I'm quite tired.
0: <laughs> I'm happy to hear, because of course my highlight of the whole thing is that Tori Maguire said, yeah, sure. Um, yeah,
1: I'll do everything there. Just yeah. You just yeah.
0: Because yes. of course, like that's... I mean, why wouldn't you? Really, it's sort of, you know, him coming back has kind of put his career back on the on track. I think, mm. and him being—he was in Babylon recently as well. Um, so yeah, why not? Just why not get Sam Raimi? He's already involved. Do it, please.
1: <laughs> someone, someone asked Sam Raimi about him appearing in No Way Home, and apparently, Sam Raimi was very happy.
0: I'm glad. Yeah, I really. You'd mm. hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine fact, Sam Raimi here. More, more of a thank God. Yeah, God, it mustn't hear it. But yeah, is that our, all the news done? Then are we?
1: That's the whole news. That's, that's wow. the news. Okay, main then. topic time.
0: Main topic time. Um, yeah, as mentioned before, it is we're doing a big J.J. Abrams discussion. Really, um, mm-hmm. I just think he's just fascinating, and I think his his career kind of trajectory, trajectory, I don't know, uh, is mm-hmm. just it's so interesting and so like how did you get you know that far so quick and then oh then you that was just even further sort of thing um
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's just sort of a mystery to me a mystery box in some way to me of a, yeah. <laughs> of a man um but yeah i want to discuss him and his films and kind of the pros and the cons and i think as well the kind of the weird sort of i think a lot gets put onto him by a lot of people mm-hmm. um yeah for some reason, I think just because he's the, you know, he's he's at, he's at the front quite a lot. He's very, he's kind of a personality director where he's actually on camera quite a lot in interviews doing, you know, The, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon or whatever. You can imagine him doing that. Um, yeah. And some directors you can't really imagine doing that. Um, and on top of that, he's at the head of, you know, two very important franchises at various points that have very vocal fan bases. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, you know, he gets a lot of, Stuff around him, um, so yeah. I guess want to ask this as an opening question: Is like, generally speaking, what's your Where do you stand with Digit Aaron like, how do you feel about his photography?
1: Um, I'm, in all honesty, I'm quite a, quite a fan of it. To be honest, mm. <laughs> um, a lot of what he's done is is stuff that I not only just thoroughly enjoy, but genuinely really quite love. Mm. Um, we kind of mentioned before that he has such a varied career in, in that he. He's pretty much literally been everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> In the franchise he's been there, uh, at least been that close to something associated with it. Um and yeah, it's just whether it be as a writer, as a director, as a producer, I think there's a lot of stuff that he's produced that, you know, I genuinely love and he's he's also kind of got that image for me of someone who um sorry, I've my phone going off. <laughs> um someone who has a strange ability to really just bring new energy to things that Maybe stuttering or struggling. Yeah, I think particularly when it comes to film franchises, you know, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, and Star Wars, he's been at the front of really kind of revitalising them and bringing them to new audiences. Because you know, he joined Mission Impossible kind of it was the first kind of film franchise he joined before Star Trek and Star Wars. He really he came to that one in a very strange position. where you've got you've got the Brian De Palma directed first film. Um, mm-hmm. Which is an adaptation of a TV series, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then you have you have Mission Impossible two, which is which is an interesting place to to, to be left with a franchise, mm, yeah, um, and kind of Mission Impossible three with J. James because he's also he stayed as producer on the films like following it, mm. but Mission Impossible three really is, is where it's where that franchise be- became itself, if you know what I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it feels like that's where it kind of got its identity. That's where Ethan Hunt really became Ethan Hunt. And it, it kind of set its stall out to the best of its ability for, for where Ralph McQuarrie... I've done it again. <laughs> I did it in one of the previous episodes. I called him yeah. Ralph McQuarrie. Ralph McQuarr- Christopher McQuarrie. <laughs> McQuarr- um, where he kind of took it afterwards. Hmm. Um. So yeah. And then there's kind of his TV work, which I feel like now, given all he's done for various various franchises, it feels like his TV work's largely forgotten almost
0: yeah, kinda, yeah <clears throat>
1: um, looking at looking at where he's come from, it's fascinating
0: hmm.
1: <laughs> we kind of talked before about how he literally knows people, one of the very first things he did was a TV series Felicity with um, Kerry Russell, which was created by him and Matt Reeves
0: yeah, what a weird pairing
1: <laughs> yeah French <laughs> pairing, especially considering the show's like a, it's like a life thing.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, it's like a melodrama. Yeah, a girl goes to college sort of thing, and it's, you know, there's little triangles and, you know, all sorts of things like that. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a, a weird starting place, but it just, I don't know, it's just a fascinating, like you say, like, yeah. the career trajectory is so odd, yeah.
1: Because, mm. cause, like, he started writing that the same year he wrote Armageddon.
0: <laughs> oh god both really...
1: 1989 and then yeah. off the back of that obviously everything kind of kicks off Alias mm. um, Lost um, Mission Impossible is kind of around that era as well I was very happy when I realised I got the chance to mention this but he also created Fringe oh yeah <laughs> um, but yeah so Yeah, yeah. Um, what's kind of your general general take on him
0: um, for me he's just like I think what fascinates me most about him is that whenever I, like was in before I think he, when you see a film of his you can, you know it's him making it mm. um, you know it from the humour from the casting, from uh, the visuals for me, I, I think that's what to me stands out the most of him and what most excites me about him is the way that he he's like for me, people often call him like Spielberg Jr.
1: um mm.
0: And I agree with that in some ways, but I also would say he's like he's like Spielberg on drugs. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, <in> my... <laughs> that, yeah, that seems like a more appropriate description, actually.
0: Yeah, that's like to me, that's what it he is. He's like a, he has all the the visual vocabulary of Spielberg, all the the really smooth kind of crane shots and the really kind of precise blocking that's always like so fun to watch, um, and like these incredible just camera movements and. But also he has this, like, he sometimes arguably goes too far of it, but I can't help but love it. it was like this, like, every shot is just, it's this impressively uh, constructed movement that is based around how kinetic can we make this film feel the entire way through. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that stands out as across the entire career. And I think he only kind of gets better with that. And I think um, when you compare it, Kind of his early film, his first film, Mr. Impossible* three, to say um, the this, this latest *Star Wars* film, um, mm. it's it has the same kind of DNA. It has the same kind of J.J. J. Abrams feel to it. The kind of hyper saturated colors, the the kind of same camera movements, but it's a lot smoother, a lot more more refined. And mm. I find it fascinating uh, how much the man used to love sh- uh, shaking the camera as much as he did um, to the point where. As we kind of mentioned before, I think like in the past week or so I've been sort of fascinated watching a lot of him behind the scenes and he's actually the one shaking the camera himself. He is, <laughs> like, the, the person is holding the camera and he is holding, like, the film canister and just tapping it with his hands really fast or, like, moving it around and, like, jitting it around himself. And I just find it fascinating that he's all about um, making what's on screen feel actually alive. Um, mm. Whether it's shaking the camera or whether it's, like, uh, the lens flares, which are of course iconic for many reasons from him, but like the idea that he just thought, well, if you're on a starship in Star Trek, there's surely you know a lot of lights going on, a lot of kind of you know there's just a lot, there's just a lot going on, and he just thought, why don't we just every like five seconds shine a light into the camera and cause mm-hmm. a lens flare, and it happens in almost every shot, and like it should be annoying, and I know I know that you know. There's plenty of probably film scholars out there that hate it or whatever. But I can't help but love it so much. Um and it just feels so alive and kind of weirdly tactile and real and but also just refined and it gets more and more refined as it goes along. And I think for me that's what I think of, even though his scripture it depends really. I think what do you what's your opinion really on the actual The way he tackles a story, if that makes sense, like just like actual Mm. on the page, his stories and what you think of when you think about a J.J. Abrams script.
1: Mm. I think kind of two biggest things, especially kind of taking in a lot of the TV stuff, is the two things I kind of often associate with him in terms of story, is that he tends to have a female lead character, Mm. (laughs) yeah, um, and the other one being the old mystery box, (laughs) (laughs) the classic. um, he kind of has that reputation as someone who is is phenomenal at starting a story, mm. um, but doesn't have the best reputation when it comes to ending one. And I think that's kind of why, kind of especially with his films as well. That's kind of like he started Mission Impossible, but he's only actually directed one of them. Mm. And Star Trek, he's kind of directed two, and he's kind of just just left.
0: <laughs> yeah, um,
1: and I think it partly kind of stems from fact he's never kind of escaped lost in a way kind of yeah um kind of lost is kind of the textbook definition especially if you like if you okay it came up a lot at uni for me (laughs) (laughs) in kinds of in kinds of determining one of the things that love to talk about with lost was intertextuality um but basically the idea of you know he set up a lot in lost and obviously it wasn't just him that Wrote Lost, there's also Damon Lindelof to consider. Yeah. Another name drop that he casually yeah, worked with before. A
0: huge names there.
1: Uh, yeah. Um but kind of this reputation of his show that suggested a lot of things and left a lot of things sometimes hidden, sometimes right in kind of the audience's face, things to consider, things to speculate on. And doing that without necessarily knowing the answer.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: kind of, he, he, it's something that's frequently repeated, it happened a lot in Lost it also happened with um, The Force Awakens like mm. he sets a lot up there and in that kind of respect I do think he is kind of the perfect guy to, if you want them to come in direct one thing or write one thing and have them set something up um, because of Star Wars kind of came back after what would have been ten years I think yeah. Um, following off on the uh, following off the sequels, and then the exchange of Lucasfilm joining Disney, there was kind of a lot of I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't clear water for Star Wars, mm. and so he kind of came in and breathed a lot of life into it. Raised a lot of questions, um, and you know it, I I personally feel like he suited it. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the organisation of the sequel trilogy, as people have talked about. <laughs> but this is kind of coming from someone who does genuinely love those three films. Mm. Um but yeah, and then there there is there is obviously that aspect of him where people question his ability to close out stories. Um kind of after Lost, he never really attempted to close one off until kind of Rise of Skywalker. Yes. It is also worth saying that if we're talking kind of mystery box, um, while I absolutely love it with the whole of my heart, I have to admit that the first season of Fringe is is Mystery Box City. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a lot. It's kind. Of, it is the kind of show where a lot happens in the first kind like, of set of episodes, which isn't necessarily followed up on. Mm. Um, but again, that's one thing. Like he, he, he was the creator along with Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orci, Um but then kind of left after the first season because, or because, because Star Trek.
0: because <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um,
1: but yeah. Um, what what kinda of, what's kinda of your perspective on the way he's kinda of approached writing and, and stories?
0: Uh, for me what well, I think is is I think one of the things he's absolutely great at is character dyna- dynamics and making clear who each person in the script is. Um hmm. I think he does that so well. I think that's why he works so well with like for example like Star Trek is like it's a big cast and a big uh, a crew of characters that need to be discernible and need to be you know, you need to know who each of them are and how each one would handle being in a room together. And I think Mm. that's so clear in the writing there Um, and in, like, the way he directs the performers. And I think he does that so well. And I think what he does as well with the script is he's he's so amazing at really just kind of dropping you in the middle of it. Um, Even if you are just getting to know a character and it's the beginning beginning of their life even, the way that he just sort of drops you in the middle of this like, things happening that will come back later in a lot of ways. Mm. But, like, just happening, like, I feel like Star Trek, that film opens... And it opens with the birth of uh, uh, Kirk, but you know it's still a situation where you get dropped into a big battle, uh, where the father of of Kirk is guiding the ship into the middle of this massive enemy ship, and the mother and everyone else on the on the crew is escaping via shuttles, and the baby's mm-hmm. being born as as his father's dying, and then that all happens, and then the the scene sort of kind of. Finishes and then the big, in the big words. It goes Star Trek. <laughs> and like yeah, like this is sick. Like he's, he's so good at like doing like this this feeling of rushing energy, and character sort of well exposition really. He's really good at telling mm. you what's happening without wasting time. And I think, mm. whilst it can definitely go too far in this direction, I think kind of this interesting uh, Chris Pine story that you told was, I think, sums up his whole approach to. Uh, it's important to tell the story, but if you know, if the character moments more important, we can rush past the whole as uh, this, this is how space, you know, travel works or whatever the sort of lines. Mm. And it's Chris Pine telling the story of him um, as an actor going to JJ Abrams and being like, I don't actually understand what I'm saying about this whole there's a there's a storm and space and you know, this time travel and all this. He goes, and then JJ Abrams stops him and just goes, It. Stop! It doesn't matter. You want to run on. You're going to run onto the ship. You're going to start saying these words really loudly, and all the audience is going to think is something is happening, <laughs> <laughs> and like that could definitely go too far into the wrong way. I think sometimes it does with his films, but at the same time, mm-hmm. when it works, I think he just gets it. Um, he gets that fundamentally, especially blockbuster films. Uh, they are big magic tricks, essentially. Where it's like something's happening over here. Don't look over here, please. Like, it's that sort of thing, really. Um, and it's just sort of, I like that he gets that, and he, when he gets it really well, he does it so, so well. Um, but yeah, to be fair, like you were saying before, like the whole endings thing, he does have trouble continuing or ending something that where it kind of, it ends with a point where you feel like, ah, yes, this, this was a satisfying ending, and it felt like it everything came back in a satisfying way, and it was all going somewhere. I feel like he struggles to have that sort of, Mm. He, he feels like a very like i said before he is a very hyper spielberg and what you get with that is a lot of great ideas a lot of great shots a lot of great concepts a lot of great characters but it feels like he's so excited to do it all at once and to mm. not think of like sit down and go this is a great character where could he go and then be at the very end of say three films and how will that journey happen he, i don't think he does that like ryan johnson for example this as a comparison, like, you can imagine him sitting down and really, like, mulling over, like, every character and for, like, five days straight and being like, where could they end up? Um, mm. JJ Abrams, I imagine he hears about the character of Kirk or whoever and goes, oh, my God, that's great. Let's do it now. <laughs> and it just sort of happens. Um, mm. So I think he's a very in-the-moment director. Yeah, a very in-the-moment, very, like, snappy sort of energetic person, which is why he's so good at reboots. Um mm. Arguably, you, you could definitely argue that episode 7 is a reboot of, sh- of sorts. Um, yeah. Like, because on one hand, it is harkening back to the original trilogy, but it's been, you know, I think it was like f- 40 years since then, at least. And then in between that, you had these three films that were, that were Star Wars, but were very, very much not what people remember Star Wars for being. And mm. people did not respond to them very well. And then you get this director coming back, and it's it's the old thing come back, but it's very much a reboot. It's not actually the original trilogy again, like people think it is the visual kind of vocabulary and the way the characters kind of move and talk. It is very different. It's not really star Wars as we knew it. um, (laughs) Even though it kind of has the same sort of practical effects and a bit of the tone. Um, And also the, the structure as well of the, you know, at the end you know, there's going to be a planet that's going to get destroyed by a death star (laughs) sort of thing. Um, (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, so I think he, yeah, like you're saying, like he kind of, he relies a bit too much on, well, we know where it ends because it's a Star Wars film. It's going to be a Death Star thing. Um, so I think that's kind of the whole kind of, the flaw in his writing, which is, well, yeah, it's a Star Wars film. Let's just do the Star Wars thing, you know, have a container there, you know. Um, you know, Star Trek, let's bring back Khan, you know, why though? He doesn't really, sometimes you feel like he doesn't stop to ask himself why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's not to say it ends up totally bad, I think. I mean, what's your kind of opinion on the kind of nostalgia thing around him that he's kind of accused of or kind of bringing things back, I think?
1: Mm, I think it's a really strange relationship he has with it because especially, I think, one of the kind of best examples is The Force Awakens for this. But there is the idea that, you know, he, he can rely too much on, on the thingy that he's trying to reboot. But then at the same time, if you look at like the fans of Star Trek and Star Wars, he has a very kind of conflicted opinion amongst, among the fan bases. Mm, yeah. Um, for kind of almost disregarding um, <laughs> nostalgia and what and what those films, what what those films mean to to certain people. Yeah. So it's a really strange place for him to be in. He's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. <laughs>
0: yeah, pretty much.
1: Um. And so it, it, it's really strange. I think because one of the one of the kind of the big things for I remember the Star Trek Into Darkness thing, with it's not Khan, it, <laughs> it comes Cumberbatch it's absolutely categorically not Khan, <laughs> but he is Khan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I kind of always remember that. Um, and I think, I mean, I, 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 it's difficult because there's a lot people say about the Force Awakens and about Star Trek. And I think the only thing I really can do is kind of come down to the way I view those films and is that I feel like J.J. Abrams does a phenomenal job of bridging of bridging Star Wars in that Force Awakens film. Because, you know, it it is 10 years after the last Star Wars film, but in, in reality it's not. It's, what, it's 30, 40 years. Because largely the films that he's kind of taking on they're not they're not really related to the prequel films. Not really, it's, no. <laughs> it, it it is the originals that he's having to, to to contend with. And I feel like he he does do an excellent job of kind of bridging that in terms of you know, he hasn't gone all in with the characters. Luke Skywalker isn't isn't in that film until the end. Um Harrison Ford kinda of comes in as, as kind of the main of the original three in that film. And for me, I think, I think it could be argued that that's maybe Han Solo's best film. I kind of, yeah,
0: I kind of agree with that, yeah.
1: Um, I feel like Leia's kind of there, but it, it doesn't feel as much of her film as it is maybe kind of The Last Jedi does.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then kind of, I think when it comes to Star Wars and nostalgia for J.J. J. Abrams, I think, I think the third film is kind of, or The, the Rise of Skywalker, it's kind of where the border gets a bit muddy. Um, and I think... I mean, this is coming from someone who does actually love that film. Yeah. Um, I yeah, it, It's got a special place in my heart. But at the same time, I do understand that he kind of came into that in a really difficult situation where, you know, a lot of J.J. J. Abrams-isms are in that film, <laughs> mm. but it doesn't necessarily feel J.J. J. Abrams through and through. Mm. Yeah. Um. Because of kind of where they were with heap when he joined, and and but all the same, despite that, he does manage to kind of round that off for me while maintaining focus on the new. Yeah. He doesn't rely massively on kind of nostalgia. Yes, Palpatine's back. Yes, there's a Han Solo cameo. Somehow, someone managed <laughs> Somehow. to drag Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't quite get him to shave. But they mm. managed to get him on set <laughs> um but yeah and he he does manage to kind of conclude that trilogy while keeping focus on characters like Ray and Finn and Poe I mean finn Finn and Poe I'll be honest they do tend to suffer a little bit, but it still does maintain a kind of focus on the on the new um yeah, it was a difficult situation, and I think it doesn't help that that's kind of being the most recent film that he's directed, that being the one a lot of people can immediately think of.
0: Yeah, I think like you're saying, with like the episode nine thing. What I kind of disagree with when it comes to people saying that that's the most like nostalgia heavy one and is the most kind of like uh, empty one. I kind of disagree with that one because I I remember seeing that film and just thinking to myself, this feels like I'm watching a Star Wars film that is about the Star Wars characters that I've met in episode seven more than anything else, really. Um, like I thought this, I don't know how to put it really in words, but it felt like the most I'm watching a film in the sequel trilogy. That's just about the characters that are, that exist in this, in this trilogy. Um, the main trio, for example, encompass the entire film pretty much. And their journey kind of goes across the whole entire film. And the main conflict is very much Kylo and Ray, uh, luke has one scene um leia is there but kind of in the background sort of raw and han gets one sort of cameo sort of thing and even palpatine himself he opens and closes the film but he's not like he's not omnipresent throughout the entire film he's not really a character who's constantly there going and making you know references to the old films or anything like that it's just sort of they're there and they're kind of used enough i think for what they need to do um but I, for me, I always t- totally disagree with the idea that this new, the latest film is the most kind of like nostalgia-heavy one, where it's it's really just you know another episode seven, episode you know you know original trilogy film, because uh, I just think it's so centered on rare, especially of everyone. Um, so I kind of go, I don't really agree with that, and also I find it interesting what Into Darkness, the second Star Trek film, hit from him tries to do and i think does succeed at for the most part it's it's an interesting thing because it's it's trying to be the dark middle chapter um it's trying to kind of investigate and to interrogate the idea of what what the federation is and kind of turning into a military operation and having a sympathetic sort of backstory to, to khan uh whilst maintaining his kind of villainous presence um and i think it does that really really well and kind of I think Kirk gets a really great arc, actually, when it comes to kind of overcoming the death of his kind of follower figure and not succumbing to hatred. Um, but, yeah, it's sort of that weird thing where he's, he's doing these kind of very interesting, very new ideas that are pushing things forward. But at the same time, it is undeniable that, you know, he can't help but be like, oh, but every ship has miniaturized Death Star technology <laughs> on it or whatever. Um, <laughs> and, you know, can't, you know... Uh, Kirk dies like Spock dies in the previous movie in the same way Um, Mm, but you know we can't actually do that because that would ruin the franchise going forward so you know (laughs) bring him back with magic blood (laughs) Um, Mm. it's sort of like he's doing new things but he can't quite commit to the whole bit really yeah Um, Yeah. so it's sort of this weird half I think well I'm so proud of you but you're not doing it right (laughs) you're not doing it quite the (laughs) best way (laughs) possible here yeah so, yeah, I find it uh, sometimes frustrating in that way. Because I think if you just... I would love to see him actually just do a, a 100% original film um, in a way that he wants to. And you could argue that Super, Super 8 is that film from him, but at the same time, it's still very much a E.T. homage. <laughs> uh, hmm. It could be a sequel to E.T. very easily. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, I'd love to see him tackle an original thing, really. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to the, the nostalgia thing, I just think he's he's good at doing the old thing new. Um, and there's a lot of value in that that I don't think a lot of people kind of give him credit for. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's kind of a weird one. Do you, I mean, for you, do you prefer his take on Star Wars or Star Trek? I mean, I know you like different kind of fan base sort of thing, but just sort of like his take on it. Which one do you kind of prefer overall?
1: Well, I think... I think his Star Trek his work on Star Trek fits together better. Mm. Um, primarily because, you know, he is doing the film that is a direct sequel to his own. Yeah. Um, there is kind of the turbulence when it comes to the Star Wars films of he did the Force Awakens believing it was the only one he was gonna do. Yeah. And then he kind of passed the films on to someone who did you know, very much took in hand what, what he did but, you know, made it their own. And then all of a sudden, very suddenly, kind of almost halfway through production, he's coming in and he's told to finish the film. That's not a sequel to his film, but it's a sequel to a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, he he was it was a difficult situation to to kind of assess in terms of kind of the continuity and what he brought to it. So I think with the Star Trek films, they just feel more consistent. And I think my natural inclination is to say Star Wars because, you know, I love Star Wars, whereas Star Trek, you know, I can I'm, I I like it. <laughs> um, but I think kind of ingrained in my childhood there was Star Wars instead of Star Trek. But the more I kind of think about it and the more I kind of think of... From, try to think from a more objective standpoint, I think maybe his work on Star Trek was more accomplished and more complete. Yeah. Um, so, yeah... It, it, yeah, it's a difficult one, I think I think with it being more of a ha- more of a harder reboot as well with Star Trek, he manages a better control on his characters, if you know what I mean, like where Star Wars, there are certain characters that are that there are his, and he does a good job with the legacy characters, but there is always the aspect of a new writer coming into someone else's characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: yes, I, I get that is that is happening with Star Trek. You know these characters, Kirk and Spock. They are characters that have existed before, but with it being more of a kind of clean slate, building those characters up from the ground again, I mm. feel like you can you can almost feel that he does have a better control over them. Yeah. Um, that being said, if you tell me to pick one film from 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 those of J.J. Abrams, it's my favorite. I would pick The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a difficult question to answer. Mm. Um what would you say? I think
0: yeah I think for me I, I agree with the overall kind of Star Trek is his most is more consistent and is more it feels more to me like his if that makes sense like his sort of creation even though it's not his creation um, it's sort of like with Star Wars I feel like he's coming on board he's definitely doing his take on Star Wars and definitely even episode nine which he's not you know the entire way through the production of it um even though he's got kind of brought on board later on. I would still argue that, that it's still his film. I I still feel like it is him, mm. and it is. Yeah. Um, it's definitely his take on what Episode Nine would look like, and it came to fruition to people's you know either like or dislike. Um, but with Star Trek, I feel like it's more, it's his, and I'm I'm always a tad bit sad that he didn't get to do the whole trilogy really, um, because mm. I think me, I think it is Star Trek overall that I prefer from him over like this. I think, even though I would in my ranking, which you can view on our podcast post uh, on our <laughs> Instagram, um, even though Into Darkness comes for me like it's a, a bit below his two Star Wars films. Star Trek, the first one, is his for me my favorite film of his, and it's I feel like it's as perfect JJ Abrams has ever been on on like the film scale really, um, and I think as well like when you get to the point where you uh, with star trek and you go to the third film which isn't directed by him and i think he's just a kind of he has one of those you know producer role sort of thing where he's not really involved but he kind of is um i think he's i think you can tell and you can really feel that he's not there behind the mm. camera and i think it changes the whole vibe of the film um i don't think the third film is bad or not you know doesn't stand up to quality of the rest of the the previous two but i I always watch it. I always enjoy it enough, but I'm always like, oh, but it doesn't it doesn't include the big camera swoops and whooshes. <laughs> it hasn't got any of that from Chitty Abrams. It hasn't got the, you know, the mm. energy that he's got, um, and it just sort of it really kind of misses that, and it kind of just becomes a competently directed uh, movie from you know the guy who did most of the Fast and Furious movies, uh, sort of thing." And it works and it's fine but again like i'd rather jj abrams was, was there behind the camera than not um and i feel like as well when it comes to star wars and his episode seven kind of reboot kind of reintroductions into the world um i feel like it kind of i love that uh, ryan johnson is just like a a lovely filmmaking and kind of person that he kind of he saw what he did and just sort of did his version of it uh, visually um mm. you can definitely feel like, it's a different director, but you can definitely feel that like Ryan Johnson was like, okay, the mold set here is what J.J. Abrams does was it's very much like, I'm going to combine four different shots into one shot. <laughs> and <laughs> it's going to be really cool. <laughs> and you can definitely feel Ryan Johnson going, okay, I can do that. We'll, okay, that, that makes sense. We'll do that. You know, that'll be our visual language for the, this trilogy. And I love that. And I think it's, you know, I feel like J.J. Abrams, he's so discernible and so unique in what he does um, that when he's not there you can actually like really feel it Um, and I would love it I think it would be amazing and I don't know where the current Star Trek situation is but I would love it if the fourth film was him returning I think it would be really great Um,
1: well (laughs) it's a weird situation for that fourth film because it was announced and it was all set to go um, Mm -hmm. because it was meant to be Matt Shankman Oh right, um, but then Marvel Marvel called him back and said, um, "So we need someone to direct Fantastic Four. <laughs> um, so then he kind of left, and then no replacement was announced. Right, because um, because for that for that Shankman like Star Trek Four, the whole cast were coming back.
0: Hmm.
1: It, it was it was announced. It was all set to go. Yeah. Um, but then, kind of, the rumours did circulate that people did suggest J.J. J. Abrams.
0: Right. Um, hmm. So,
1: I, I don't know where that is now. It's been... Well, the last time I heard anything on it was like when it, when it was announced Shankman was taking over Fantastic Four. So, that is at least a year ago. Maybe yeah. even two years ago now. Time's hmm. funny for me now. <laughs> I've reached an age where all the years blend into each other. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's strange. I mean, if you look at IMDb and places like that, he's not, like, in terms of that as a director, there's The Force Awakens and there's nothing. There's not even anything upcoming mm. Yeah, kind of, as a director. Ah. So it's interesting to see, you know, whether whether he is interested in, in returning to Star Trek. I think, um, yeah. Because at the moment, like, he is in kind of limbo because, like, his production company, Bad Robot, they were acquired, or I don't know if they were acquired, or if they signed a deal with Warner Brothers, and the understanding was that he was working on a lot of DC stuff. Oh, um, right, okay. Like, if you look, if, again, if you go on an IMDb, and you look at all his producer credits, hmm. um, they still include, there's what we've we got, we've got Justice League Dark, um, Zatanna, Untitled Superman Project, which was announced a long time ago, <laughs> um, uh, Constantine 2, he's listed as the producer on that, um, and then the Batman Cape Crusader animated series, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because cause as far as we're aware, that his Superman film hasn't been cancelled. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's strange because James Gunn's making his his Superman film. I don't know. Are they the same film?
0: We will never know. <laughs> um, I think we'll actually never yes, know. Like, <laughs>
1: Like, because Bad Robert was kind of joined up with Warner Brothers for this DC stuff mm. a long time ago,
0: <laughs> right?
1: You know, it was <sighs> maybe even as much as maybe five years. I remember five years. I think yeah. it was just after Rise of Skywalker. So yeah, be three, three or four years.
0: Three or four years. Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, and so it, it is really strange where he's at.
0: <laughs> yeah, because um, you sort of. I really miss like having a new GTA Abrams film coming out. Like I. Mm. Because he is in Limbo, and I think he is doing... I know he's doing... So I think he wrote a comic recently with, with his son. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, he did a Spider-Man comic, didn't
0: he? Yeah, that was a bit controversial, I think, from what I heard. <laughs> um,
1: it wouldn't be J.J. Abrams if it wasn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, good point, yeah. But, yeah, I'll it
1: say... It's kind of on that. He's a man that's controversial, controversial yet I've never quite understood why.
0: Kind of, yeah. I know what you mean. Me too. I... I know people like I think it just comes down to he's worked in a lot of fan bases and fan bases need someone to hit, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think in, especially with um, with Star Trek, especially in some ways, because you think about Star Trek and you think about what Star Trek is pre-JJ Abrams and it's very much uh, methodical, very slow, very like kind of ponderous. When kind of, mm. a characters on a bridge and in the starship and they're discussing an issue and they're doing a solution. And, you know, that is very much what Star Trek is for decades and decades. And then J.J. Abrams comes on board and then Star Trek becomes explosions and lens flares and, you know, all of this. And I could definitely see him, even if people did like that film and people might kind of convert it to like, oh, yeah, this can work as an action film. You undeniably, you're going to rustle some feathers with that sort of approach to Star Trek (laughs) Um, for some people. Um, So, yeah, I think he's. He's, he's just worked in a lot of fan bases, really, <laughs> um, and you, you're bound to kind of stir up hatred if you do one thing that's not what they want, really. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think as well with, with JJ Abrams, I think he's learnt a lot. Um, yeah, I don't think it's it's helpful in some ways that his latest film is The Rise of Skywalker because it's a film that he didn't get full like script control over from the very beginning. Because um, mm. I think if he had, whenever I, I see him in interviews now after that film he's kind of always mentioning that i definitely can see the the the, the value in kind of really sitting down and going where are we going because we you don't know what to kind of accentuate when you don't know what the answer is to the question really um mm. so i think he i think he actually has learned a lot over his his time i think he's learned kind of how to combat his main flaw maybe with his writing um so I would love to see him tackle anything, but especially a Star Trek 4 where he comes back and he really just gets a chance to actually, like, nail it again in, but in a different way and have a plan for where they're going. I really... Cause I feel like he would just... He, it'd be so good if he could just set the the ship right, I guess, for that franchise and yeah. kind of bring it home, I guess. Because um, mm. even though it's came back and it has a lot of success on TV and the trilogy is very much, like, well-liked... Um, it it kind of still feels like it's in that weird sort of, what are we doing? <laughs> that sort of yeah. world of, like, where are we going? What are we doing? What's the next thing coming up? Um, mm. Yeah. So I think, I mean, for you, would you love to see him come back to Star Trek?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think, generally, I think I'd just want him to come back and nail an ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> not no, I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean, like, for me personally, I just feel so happy if he was... To do an ending and people loved it.
0: <laughs> It'd be good, yeah, It'd be great.
1: <laughs> I just, I just feel so happy for him. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I, I mean, I can totally understand from someone in like in his perspective, in, in like in his position, of maybe why you, you haven't directed anything since Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah. Because you know it's hot property. It was hot property at the time. You kind know, of the discourse surrounding it was quite heated. Um. I can understand why he would maybe shift into more of a, of a producer role in recent years. Because if you look at his credits, there's a lot he's been doing, like producing wise. Um, he's a producer on Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> really strange. Um, the Cloverfield films as well. He's continued on that. Uh, yeah. um, what was the one? What's one of the other ones? There was another one. Um, oh, Overlord. I don't know if you remember Overlord. That film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he produced that. So I can understand why he's kind of taken up that role at this point in his career. But yeah, I think to see him return to Star Trek would be great since that since there clearly feels like there's space for him to come back. Mm, yeah. Like it 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 almost feels it is it is almost Hollywood in the way that there is kind of that vacancy for him. Mm. He's kind of in limbo at DC, that's the impression everyone else has been getting. Yeah. It would be truly wonderful to you know have him have that start that fourth Star Trek film, and to kind of you know maybe maybe he we'll would be starting again with those characters and kind of reigniting it because like the fourth film was an odd number to come in on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, start a new trilogy. Who knows? Mm. Uh, <laughs> but if he was to kind of come back into that and kind of give those characters and that story that he starred a proper ending because. With the way into darkness ended, and with the way in which um, beyond ended, it again. There's another set of characters that kind of it's concluded, but has it really?
0: Yeah, it's not really. They've uh,
1: not. They've conclusion. not gone out with a bang. <laughs> yeah, it's um.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing with that, that the final Star Trek film that we have at the moment is that it, it, it's very much a film where it's it kind of it alludes to an ending, ending sort of feeling. But at the same time, the actual ending of the film is everyone on the crew getting back on the ship and being like, let's do another five years because we like it so much. Um, And the fact that that's the ending of that film and then there's no more so far (laughs) is kind of a bit of a bittersweet to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, for me, I would actually kind of... Because I know that he's been involved in various ways with like various... uh, Superman projects, um, yeah. both recently and I feel like two thousand or four, five, whatever. With a, I think it was called Flyby. The film might have been subtitled. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think I, they even made the suit for it and all that. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I feel like he's always been around a Superman film, and I feel like, I think he could nail it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about where they. So from what I heard about that flyby film um it the script wasn't the best script I've ever heard of but, but no. I, it was very Didn't much in here
1: wasn't it Robert Downey jr is Lex Luthor?
0: Uh, yeah something about yeah something about that and something about Kryptonian and karate because <laughs> um, yeah. the matrix was around at that point um I think that was a thing at the time um but yeah I think like I think he could actually properly nail one, like a Superman film, even though I know James Gunn is probably going to do it, or is doing it. Um, yeah. Uh, the fact that I could just imagine a film about that character and his world and J.J. Abrams, I can just imagine that it's working very, very well together. Mm. Um, It'll kind of be a shame almost like, not get some sort of Superman thing from him eventually. Um, so that I, definitely f- I feel like
1: y- y- you could, uh, like, with his, as like mentioned, Spielberg on drugs approach of action. <laughs> I yeah. feel like that would blend very well with Superman.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, imagining the lens flares and the, the colour grading and all that of, no. of that Im- character.
1: Ima- imagine the destruction of Krypton with him.
0: Imagine, yeah. <laughs> well, at this point, J.J. Abrams must be so used to like saying to visual effects artists, like, oh, how do you destroy a planet? I feel like J.J. Abrams could destroy a planet by himself on the computer. He's done it so many times at this point. <laughs> He's done it so many times. He could do it easily. Um, yeah, I, I just... I let him tackle something like that. But also, I would also love him to just, like... He doesn't want to do anything big for a while. Because I imagine that there's a lot of weird pressure and a lot of talk around him as a person from people, you know, who are very, you know, very rude online, let's say. Rude, that's, that's a word, I guess. Um, but... I can't. I wouldn't blame him if he wanted to kind of take a break and just make something completely original. Or, I mm. so I would like him to kind of take a leaf out of Ryan Johnson's book in some ways to kind of make his own character like a like a blank <laughs> and kind of mm. have a franchise built around an entire JJ Abrams original idea. I think that would be quite interesting to see from him in whatever genre that would be in. Um, mm. I don't know, but I think. You could really nail that. I think he might do well going back to the spy kind of route with Alias and uh, Mission Impossible. Um,
1: Yeah, I think it's a very strong grounding. He's definitely got a handle on that kind of genre.
0: Hmm, yeah. And I think he could totally nail that. Um, It's just a case of I don't know what he wants to do at the moment. (laughs) Um, He's not really been very vocal (laughs) in terms of interviews, and I totally get why he's been, you know, he made. You know, two Star Wars films back to back essentially, and then made you know, two Star Trek films before that. Um, he had like 10 years plus of the star films. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he must be very tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like, as well, with him, he's a director who just brings together great casts. Um, I can't imagine like Chris Pine and Simon Pegg not knowing each other and being best friends, because this is a good, you know, this is a good pairing, and everyone in that crew is, really, and everyone in the Star Wars crew is, too. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, do you want to see him do something, like, original, or do you, would you rather he kind of got another chance with the big-budget stuff?
1: Yeah, I think he's got it. He's definitely got it in his locker, if you kind of look back to his his, his TV roots. Mm. I just think it's, it's a weird situation, because... Having all these franchises almost at your fingertips, it's kind of especially for someone who is clearly a fan of these things. I can imagine it's quite a difficult thing to to kind of be offered them and not immediately want to take them up, snap the hand off. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But yeah, I think I think Super Eight is an excellent example of of exactly how he could do that. Mm. Um. Like you say, it's not it's not entirely necessarily his own because it's clearly inspired by. You know Spielberg films. You know um, films like ET, and almost um, I watched um, what was it? Um, Stand by me recently. Oh yeah, and that that really, I, I, I don't know. I know that film isn't sci-fi, but I feel like there's a real strong kind of connection vibe between the two of them. Mm, yeah, it's that kind of um, nostalgic look back and kind of nostalgic approach to a film. Uh, but you know to see him you know come up with his own idea almost kind of like what Zack Snyder has been doing mm yeah um and I, I in a way i feel like it is kind of an apt comparison between the two of them
0: mm
1: kind of these two directors who have very you know they've taken on the the franchise juggernaut one's had a lot more success than the other one um but they are they are very much considered people associated with kind of adaptation and comic book esque franchises mm But you know, two directors who also have have their own significant style, and I I feel like I feel like Zack Snyder has immensely benefited from doing his own thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. I
1: you know, obviously he's he's only really released kind of uh, Army of the Dead since um, since the 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 Justice League thing, but he's (laughs) he's, he's doing that Rebel Moon thing for Netflix at the moment, and the feeling you kind of get off that is just that. He's just doing his own thing, and he, he he seems to have found a groove.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's. I feel like he needs to operate in a space where both, like JJ Abrams and uh, Zack Snyder, need to operate in places where there. There isn't this pressure of, we're handling yeah. a big franchise, and no matter what you do, someone's going to say that's wrong. Because in episode two of whatever season of this TV show that happened, and that contradicts this. Like it's not. Like I feel like it just needs their own their mm-hmm. own actual thing from their own brain.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, think, I think on the flip side, though, there is kind of the point you could argue that being within a franchise is maybe kind of the focus that J G Abrams needs. Because you know, if you do kind of go back to the whole, you know, mystery boxes, posing questions, having big ideas and being in the moment, you know, there is a lot of scope for, if, if, there's, n- if there's nothing to narrow you towards... Like a particular story that like you can get with with DC, Star Wars, or Star Trek, you know. May, maybe maybe they're, they're the kind of railings that keep him in. Maybe <laughs> you yeah, I <know>, mean, and they <laughs> yeah. kind of focus him and, and and maybe bring the best out of him. But I do, I do agree that at least once would be brilliant to see him, and, and railings come down and be given a budget for a film like Zack Snyder's been getting with Army of the Dead and then kind of Rebel Moon, to maybe find the audience, because I'm pretty sure, you know, knowing Netflix, there's an opportunity for J.J. Abrams to branch away from the bigger studios who have the established IP, and I think there would be the backing for him. Hmm, yeah. It's just whether he he feels like he can do that.
0: Yeah,
1: I think for like... Uh, but yeah, I, yeah I, I do agree, especially if it was, like, a, like you said, like an ensemble thing, bringing a load of actors and a load of characters together. It would be it would be very exciting
0: I think yeah like with the JJ Abrams name you kind of hear that I think every producer in, producer in the world of studio ahead goes oh yeah that that's the name that works like it's a guy that you can bring on board and even though there's obviously the, all the controversy of you know the fan bases and all that he's very much a person who brings it back and you could definitely argue you can't you can't argue against it really that um Star Wars is, didn't come back in a big way because of him. Um he definitely brought it back and I think even more so for Star Trek. Um we look at Star Trek's like role at that point. They were making a TV show that was I think it was called Star Trek Enterprise and it was I think the least the lowest rated of any of the TV shows and the the last mm. film that they made was Star Trek Nemesis, which was I want to say the the least liked out of all the movies. <laughs> so it was very much in mm. I think the lowest it's ever been really is Star Trek in terms of like quality and people being on board for whatever they're doing. And then to have this kind of big, massive reboot, you can't deny that he kind of... He knows how to bring things back and to make things new and to not just Mm. do it for the sake of baking it. He kind of... He doesn't step on any toes in terms of, like, recreating something to be his own thing. It still is Star Trek. It's just his lens on that world um, sort of thing. Same thing with Star Wars and Mission Impossible, either. Like, Mission Impossible, before him, it was... a very varied varied two films. (laughs) A a very weird sort of paranoia-based first film and a very Mm -hmm. out-there, really massive, big-budget explosion film, second film. And I think the third film kind of... It takes both what 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 about those two films previously and kind of makes Mm -hmm. a third film that is a mixture of both in some ways. It's both a big action film with a lot of explosions and it also is very paranoia-based. Um, with a really strong villain. Um, Mm -hmm. So it kind of is both of those things, but also is very much still J.J. Abrams. It's very much, you know, his lens on that world and his kind of visual approach to it. Um, I think, yeah, I didn't even think to kind of compare the two, but like you're saying with with Zack Snyder and him, I would kind kind of argue that if you give them a title, they would be like, I don't know how to put it, but like a very popular controversial auteur directors <laughs> hmm. like very popular very kind of distinguished and discernible directors who are also not just you know the in the artsy crowd but also in, they're very much in the popular crowds or like big budget films and they're hmm. very controversial <laughs> um <laughs> you, the, you know the least controversial you get there is like a nolan or a, a Villeneuve, i guess and i think on the other end is like very much directors who are working in the arts or art housework realm, uh, that I'm not at all doing big budget films at all. And somewhere in the middle there's JJ Abrams and Zack Snyder <laughs> who are caught in between being very artsy and distinguishable, but also making very big films <laughs> and sort of like this weird sort of world that they're in of their own. Um that leads to, yeah, a lot of controversy and a lot of a lot put onto them to despite them just making films the way they know how to make films. Um um, yeah, so it's kind of a weird, a weird career <laughs> that he's had. I think that's what the whole thing. So not really, it's a very weird career.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I, th- I think it's just it's kind of it's almost the career of dreams, really. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, 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 if you were to look at it and think, "Well, oh, whose whose career like, would you want? Who would you who would you want to emulate? What kind of path would you want?" Mm. And if you look at JJ Abrams, you think he's pretty much. Done, done it all. Yeah, pretty much. You know, a very successful TV writer who's created multiple shows. He's had the had several pops at many big franchises, and has been successful. Like, may we add? Hmm. And it's kind of in the position now where he is kind of he's picking shows up to produce left, right, and centre. Yeah, or His, films as well. Is yeah. very respectable, I think, and and it is a shame that he just doesn't get that credit.
0: Yeah, he's very. Like, that career is kind of perfect. If someone told me, like, oh, you know, do you want to direct a Mr. Possible film and then a Star Trek and then your own thing and then a Star Trek again and then Star Wars, Mm. yeah, Yeah. sure, I'll do that. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) (laughs) And that's his career, essentially, back-to-back as well. Like, it's Mm. he finished Star Trek Trek two, and then I think even before that film got released, people knew that he was going to be on board for Star Wars. Um, Mm. So, like, it's just insane that, like, back-to-back that guy was just doing these massive reboots or sequels or whatever, and making them the way that he can make them, and because everyone wanted his voice in there, and they knew it would work on some level. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I think it it deserves way more credit, and a lot more jealousy, I don't know, (laughs) um, for what he's got, really. Um, Mm. Yeah. I mean, do you want to, is there any last points you want to make about this? The J.J. Abrams career career (laughs) discussion?
1: I think I think when it comes to J.J. Abrams, I just want to focus on the fact that, as as we've covered, he's just a very impressive career, that you know most people will be very lucky to have, and there's just there's just a joy I think to some of his films or a lot of his films, and of his TV shows. I think there's the feeling you can genuinely tell that he's enjoying what he's doing.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's kind of an invaluable quality, and it's something that doesn't always necessarily come across. And I feel like when you do get that feeling, you're ten times, maybe a hundred times more likely to enjoy yourself. Um, You know, for all the kind of drawbacks of his work, whether it be the kind of the endings, the nostalgia, if it's something that people aren't keen on, kind of his weaknesses when it comes to, to bigger pictures... I do think that just the feeling he puts into a film and the feeling you get back from watching several of his films is something that absolutely cannot be overlooked. And yeah, I I, I do feel that he's had he's he's had a bad run with not not the films themselves because I think I'd argue that I don't think he's actually done a bad film. Yeah, same. <clears throat> um, just kind of the responses from from certain people, certain groups that have kind of taken it against him and what what he's done. Um, I I do think it's a shame, and I hope that kind of he isn't overly influenced by them. um, Although it can can be hard not to be, but yeah, I think. Also, we have the same birthday, so if that makes me biased. Oh, Um, that's nice. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, he's he's just a filmmaker that I just immensely respect, and I just I just enjoy his film so much. What about you? Mm. What are your closing remarks? Um,
0: Yeah, I think for me, he's a. When I, when I think about people who sum up, sum, up, uh, sum up the idea of um the the magic of cinema <laughs> I think about he comes to mind pretty early on' as like a, a director who I think genuinely believes in that idea and believes that on that idea on like the highest possible scale possible um he is I totally agree with some of the like sort of ideas against him that he is he's sometimes too much to the point where he's just sort of like a a sugar rush of like cinema <laughs> where like and at some point you, you have to crash and realize oh my god I'm so tired <laughs> um, like sometimes like you get to the end of one of his films or any one of his stories like Into Darkness for example and it just feels like wow that a lot happened but I feel kind of slightly like I, I want you know some more sustenance I guess Um I think that's kind of the feeling sometimes but overall what I will say is that he is He's definitely up there for me as one of my favorite filmmakers, and I'm always excited to see what he does, and I'm always excited, and always constantly like kind of magnetically magnetically like pull towards rewatching his films. Like mm. I never don't want to watch a J.J. Abrams film because um, mm-hmm. I know my day will be better for it because he's just so
1: yeah,
0: his films are so charming and humorous and fun and like we keep on saying energetic, and his visual. And sound and like his, the way he just gets across someone's energy on screen and life on screen is is individual to him and it's also um, something that I feel like when you, when he's not there in those franchises where he's gets to have the, the opportunity to have like one or two films when he's not there you, you can actually feel it it's very much like he's oh he's mm. he's not there you feel a bit of the magic not quite there that would be there if he 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 could be behind the camera right now this um, is a big shame sometimes and I think yeah, like the whole thing around him with all the nostalgia and all the you know the mystery boxes I think it kind of they definitely flowed with his but I think they get blown into way too much of like a big proportion compared to what they actually are when you actually sit down and watch his films. Um, I think it just gets a bit too much hate because when you operate in that many fan bases you, you're gonna you know make some enemies i guess <laughs> um <laughs> and be criticized by people who more often than not don't really know what they're talking about i'll be honest uh <laughs> sometimes you hear things about what what he's doing wrong according to some people and you can't help but go really that's the issue here <laughs> um, um so yeah i think he gets a bit too much hate in a lot of ways mm. but also just a this also is also a lovely guy. That's <laughs> a, a good note to end it on. But like A lovely guy, really, from what I know. Um, yeah, and I hope he gets on to do, you know, either more Star Trek was my ideal sort of thing, but uh, anything that he wants to do, really, I hope he gets to have some sort of peace in his own kind of, his own new fictional world, I guess. Yeah. Um, that would be quite nice, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think that sums up, really. Um so I guess I'll wrap it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, can do, I think. Nice little nice little dedication to, to JJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh mm. with, I think we have. That was a good one, I felt. <laughs> um did a good job with uh, the, all the films. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing a review now. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, if you want to uh, let us know what you think about DJ Abram and his career, let us know mm. in the comments below or any way you want to contact us over Instagram. Um, we will get back to you as much as we can. And of course, if you want to follow us on there, we are doing what we already have done, digit uh, Abram's ranking post with a little star rating as well. Um, mm-hmm. and going forward in the lead up to Ant-Man uh, 3, I oh, will call 2 there uh, Ant-Man 3 Quantumania we will be mm-hmm. doing uh, Marvel kind of phases ranked so Marvel phase 1 movies ranked and so forth uh, going forward um, mm-hmm. so a lot to look forward to um, and yeah
1: thanks for listening and uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed and uh, goodbye yeah, see you later